a new master's student joined the chem lab I was in. Fresh from Newfoundland, he knew nothing about beautiful British Columbia, so I offered to show him the best bubble tea and food spots around the area. We hung out a few times, and when I dropped him off at his place after a meal, he invited me in to continue. I politely declined and drove home thinking nothing of it, only to receive a giant text message from him when I got home. Basically, he said he didn't appreciate me wasting his time, that he wouldn't be spending his time with a girl if it wasn't going to lead to anything. I'm a peer in your lab offering you friendship in a new place and I'm being villainized? What kind of misogynistic bullshit is this? Is what I wish I had said. Instead, I cried and avoided talking about it to anyone who knew him. I'm not sure if he said something to the other guys in the lab or if it was just in my head, but I definitely felt less welcome from that day forward. I carried that hurt and anger well into my adulthood. When he messaged me on Facebook out of the blue more than seven years later asking for my forgiveness, I realized I had already years ago. I told him as much, but made it clear that I also didn't want any contact with him. Welcome to Self-Help Junkie, the podcast where we explore the world of personal development through the eyes of book enthusiasts. I'm your host, Erica Ng, a communication coach and your resident bookworm. This season, we'll be focused on developing our romantic skills, but before we dive into the conversation with our guests, let's get a one-minute summary of the book. Good Boundaries and Goodbyes by Lisa Turkhurst is a Christian book that delves into the concept of establishing healthy boundaries in relationships and the art of saying goodbye in situations where it's necessary. If you've grown up in an environment where setting personal boundaries was discouraged, this book provides valuable insights for you, as such an upbringing can often lead to feelings of guilt and hesitancy when it comes to establishing boundaries. Each chapter dives into a seemingly simple idea like, you can't build trust that keeps getting broken. Love can be unconditional, but relational access should never be. Relationships often die not because the conversations had, but rather conversations that were needed, but never had. And when we allow a boundary to be violated, bad behavior will be validated. While these concepts may seem straightforward, it's easy to excuse bad behavior and tolerate. Lisa does a great job in relating each lesson to a personal story and a biblical lesson, which provides a safe space to alleviate the guilt and shame associated with asserting your needs. Good Boundaries and Goodbyes does an excellent job of breaking down the fundamental principles and encourages self-assessment in terms of your own notions about boundaries and goodbyes, whether it's within your family, friendships, or romantic relationships. And with that, let's dive in. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking to Kate Conwell, the founder of Journey Beyond Betrayal. Kate empowers brokenhearted women who have experienced a husband's unfaithfulness, helping them regain confidence and emerge with strength and resilience. As a certified mental health coach and kingdom coach, Kate is passionate about supporting women and overcoming shame, building confidence, and embracing their value in the world. Kate's own journey, overcoming infidelity in her marriage, inspired the creation of Journey Beyond Betrayal. She and her husband now have been married for 16 years and they share their lives with their two boys. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So before we dive into this very sensitive topic, I wanted to get to know you a little bit more. So before you were specifically helping women with overcoming betrayal, what were you doing before that? What was your purpose in life? Yeah. So I was an athlete from a very young age. I competed in track and field. Hmm. in high school and then got a scholarship in college, won a national championship, 
while at the University of Washington as a pole vaulter mm-hmm. and then continued to compete um, through the 2008 Olympic trials. Ooh. And so I had a job that allowed me to continue training after college. I became a personal trainer, which wasn't my original plan, but um, what allowed me to make money to support my Olympic dream. And so then once I retired from track, we had been married for like a year and I was personal training and I knew I wanted to have kids and I wanted to be home with my kids. And Mm -hmm. so I thought, Oh, well, this is kind of a job I could do while also being with my kids. So sure. I was a personal trainer and um, and coached athletes as well. So that was, I've always been helping people. It's just different right. goals, different, different ways, healing bodies and now healing hearts and minds. So right. and um, that's, that's what I did before this. That's such an interesting transition. Like on one hand, there are so many similarities between um, personal training and uh, being a coach, but this is completely different. Were you always emotionally attuned as well? Um, when it came, (laughs) I don't, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I've learned and developed those skills and I mean, part of my story and what I walked through really helped me develop those things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm constantly like making the analogy too, between like, um, even I just at the gym today, like, Oh my gosh, struggling and then like the struggle and it's not a perfect analogy by any means like mm-hmm. the the but the concept itself is is the analogy of like well you have to do the work if you mm. want to see the results like it's it makes sense to us physically but we don't always think it makes sense emotionally and so i think the emotional um part of coaching that I do now has definitely been a skill that I've developed and will continue to develop just like the skills I had to develop as an athletic coach. Right. You, you continue to develop as you do it. And so, um, that's one I'm definitely like is newer, but as a parent, you develop it too. Right. For sure. sure. (laughs) And I guess like in our society too, emotional mental well-being is something that's newer and we've been prioritizing it more recently so it's probably a good thing that you were learning this in your adulthood because that's what probably a lot of your clients have to do at the same time yes it's all i mean you you have to get those tools in your tool belt to like walk through this and they help you you know for the rest of your life so those tools i gained like 10 11 years ago you continue to add to you know to that over time and they serve me well now. Mm-hmm. So you said that the betrayal happened 10, 11 years ago. So it's quite a ways away, mm-hmm. but how, how was it in that moment? How did you find out and what were the initial emotions that you were feeling? Um, so I found out like by picking up his phone and like seeing text messages on there Mm -hmm. and we were doing a job together. So I wasn't like specifically looking through his phone to find that I was looking at it to see if it, there was something I needed to do for work. And so I discovered that, you know, confronted him Mm -hmm. and then, uh, he, he initially denied, but then quickly acknowledged the the truth of what that message was. And then mm-hmm. over the course of like days and weeks, other 
things sort of started to trickle out, which is super common. Like you don't Mm -hmm. get all the information at once. It comes out over time. So over the course of, you know, a couple of days and and weeks, I learned more and more about like how many lies had Mm. happened and how much betrayal had happened. Yeah. So, I mean, initially it's shock, disbelief, anger, um, confusion, like sadness. Um, and so, and I kept thinking, okay, this is it, right? This is the worst of it. Now I'm Mm. at the bottom. I've hit the bottom Mm. and then you find out something else and the bottom drops out from underneath you. And so it's, I mean, anger is the emotion that is like, I go to easiest, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's all those underlying emotions of what like you're feeling in addition to the anger. And so I, um, felt, I mean, it's heart wrenching. Like there aren't words that can actually like explain it to the depth of like what you're feeling. It's just like this soul breaking heartache Mm -hmm. and you, you can't even like function. I mean, for me, for a while, I was just in a cloud and of like sorrow and, and sadness and, um, really like despair and grief. Like it's, you're walking through grief. And so, you know, all of the things, I mean, you're confused. There's so many, I mean, feelings like that you can, that is I just name overwhelming all. and like <laughs> all you're the cycling negative through. feelings on the feelings wheel, all of that. Yeah. Right. And I mean, obviously that's a lot of information to take in and to process what started helping you find clarity or yeah. Was it, was it time? Was it how your did partner? I, was it how did I get out of that place yeah. <laughs> of despair? Out yeah. of the pit of despair? Um, well, so this is one thing I think it's really important to just know that that's a normal part of the process is those negative feelings. And I actually think allowing yourself to feel them and acknowledge that they're there will allow you to move mm-hmm. through them quickly more not quickly but quicker than Mm -hmm. if you tried to just like ignore it and so I actually was able to step out of my life completely at at that time it was an interesting transitional time where like like I was just like probably one of the only periods in my life where I could have done what I did which is like totally step out of everything Mm -hmm. and I was able to like go and stay with some friends and they took care of me they took care of my son And so they allowed me to just sit in the grief and sit in that pain and like process through it um, until I got to a place of like, okay, now I I can't stay here. Like I'm so broken and hurt. Like this isn't going to work for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. But because I was like in it a hundred, I mean, not a hundred percent of the time, but as much as I could be, Mm -hmm. um, I I think I was able to like move through that maybe Mm -hmm at a different pace than maybe someone else who has to like live in their normal life and go to work and take care of their kids and all of that. Right. Um, because I was just dealing with it as much as I could all at once. And so, uh, by the time I left there to go home, I was like, okay, now what? Like I'd already started reading books to help myself mm. understand and figure out like, what am I going to do from here to move forward and, and like not, 
live in the pit of despair for the rest of my life. Yeah. I had a one-year-old. So, I mean, it right. was, it was like a necessary part of taking care of him as I couldn't. It was great that I had someone else to take care of him and help me with that for a period mm-hmm. of time, but we weren't going to live in my friend's basement forever. Right. So we had right. to get out of there at some point. Right. And I guess it's pros and cons, like having your son there obviously gives you a purpose to be like, I can't, can't be in this pit of despair forever. But at the same time, it's like, there's this responsibility that maybe emotionally you're not a hundred percent there to, um, take on, uh, yeah. you, you mentioned yeah. books and reading books. So have you always been a reader or was this a time where you're like, I need information. I need to know what is happening. I don't know that I've always been a reader, but I think when I became a mother, Mm. I, Mm. I needed knowledge. I needed to know how, like what other people did and how did, how did it work for them and what were they suggesting? And so that's when I kind of got more into like less Mm. into fiction and more into informative books and uh, because it was what I needed and Mm -hmm. what um, I wanted to read. And so probably motherhood is what, made that transition. I don't make sense. I mean, I know there's people that like love reading through college and all of that, but I think it was just a necessary part of, of education. And, um, then I, you know, I, now I just mostly read, I wish I had more time for like fiction books and Mm. occasionally I'll pick one up on vacation, but most of what I read now is like, what do I need help with in my life (laughs) and who can make this a little bit easier for me? Because I don't know, and, and it's, you know, the finding the right books, sometimes it takes, it takes a few tries, but, um, I'm all about learning from those who have gone before me. So for sure, give yeah. me the information. I feel like I resonate with that because growing up, I was all about fiction. And then once I hit adulthood, I'm like, I should know how to do more stuff. Why don't I know how to do this? And it's like deep dive <laughs> into books to try to figure it out. Um, and the book that you brought with you today yeah. was called uh, Good Good Boundaries and Goodbyes. What about that book made you Mm -hmm. put it on the list? Like why you've read so many books. You were saying that you have a group where you guys are consistently reading. What about this book stood out? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, boundaries can be such a misunderstood Mm -hmm. topic. And so for what I, what I help women with, it's a, it's a constant struggle, like finding out how to protect yourself. And Mm -hmm. so the book talks about what boundaries are, what they aren't, it, and how to set them even in really difficult relationships. And 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 then also when it's okay to mm. say goodbye in a relationship. And not that that should be like, not that that's the goal, but right, it's like helping you recognize, okay, this is how you do boundaries. This is what boundaries are. And then when boundaries aren't working, that it's okay to say goodbye and uh, that's not a reflection on you. And then it it goes over some common like misunderstandings and myths Mm. and also has like a, it's written by Lisa Turgerson. So her, her husband was unfaithful and they're now divorced, but it has pieces from her counselor, like Mm. suction sectioned in there. Um, So you're getting like personal narrative as well as like, the counselor's perspective and his wisdom as well. So I liked the kind of the balance between the story 
and then the information and right. then the science, like the science behind it. Right. Or, yeah. Yeah. I appreciated the summaries at the end as well, because these topics are so dense and it is a lot to have those bullet points where it could refresh you very quickly without reading the entire chapter again, I found to be very helpful with the book. I mean, it starts with good boundaries. So let's start there. What would you say, Mm -hmm. say was like the state of your boundaries, um, before this revelation and how have you built yourself out into better boundaries? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's an ongoing journey for mm-hmm. me and this isn't the first book I read about boundaries mm-hmm. um so I was already kind of like piecing together and and, and putting some boundaries in place and necessary relationships I wish I had read this um you would think I would say my like the whole situation with my husband but I actually like when while reading this was thinking of like a toxic relationship with a, a former friend of mine and I was mm. like oh my gosh like I this is, this was me. Like, this is what, like, I'm not, uh, this is what I was experiencing. Like I was trying to set boundaries Mm -hmm. and then I was being told that I was unloving and unsupportive. And, and so, um, it really spoke to me and I wish I had had it. It wasn't written then. It was not (laughs) written when I was going through that relationship. But, um, I think just understanding, like, being able to put myself so personally in some of the stories that she said, and then to be like, Oh, it kind of like released me from some of the Mm. guilt I was feeling over that relationship and the loss of that relationship. And like, Mm -hmm. Oh, like, okay. Like I was, it was okay for me to have like, try to set the boundaries. I didn't do it necessarily as well as I could have, or maybe if I had some of these tools, I probably would have actually just walked away sooner and not been so hurt. But, um, this kind of gave me the freedom of like understanding, even when you do boundaries well, like it, it's not in our control. No, I kept thinking like, if I just do the right thing, if I just do the, if I just do the boundaries better, then the relationship will be fixed or like the relationship will work. But that's not like, that's so present prevalent in this book, I think is what made it so powerful to me. Like you can do boundaries well and the relationship still can not work. And I always thought, well, if I do it well enough, every relationship can be healthy if I just have healthy boundaries, but it takes (laughs) two people to have a healthy relationship. And so I think that was what I learned from that and just how to better stand in like, oh, I do know how to set boundaries and it's okay Mm -hmm. if even after boundaries, like some friendships just aren't meant to continue for that they're they're there for a season and they're blessing and then maybe not anymore right that's a really good point i think in general western mindset tends to be very results orientated so if the results are Mm -hmm. aren't good then you're like okay i must have done something wrong in the process but sometimes the process is great the results are just out of your control and um you have to be able to let them i I was an athlete so i have that right you put in you get out right and it's like it doesn't that doesn't apply (laughs) yeah i feel unfortunately no one told us that (laughs) no one said no it's out of your control it's always like what can you do um right yeah i mean let's get back to the relationship with your husband um after Mm -hmm. you found out about his betrayal 
how did you start setting up good boundaries or developing trust again in that relationship? That uh, was a long process Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it involved both of us. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to note for any woman who's listening and is walking through this, like in order to rebuild trust, it does take two Mm -hmm. people again with the boundaries you can have, you know, you can want to trust and you can be available, like willing to trust, but it takes two people Mm -hmm. in order to build trust. And so my husband from the beginning um, was always about rebuilding our relationship and reconciling. And he, I'll do whatever it takes, whatever I need to do mm-hmm. to fix this, I will do it. And so he was a hundred percent all in and he pursued his own healing as well. And then also was all in for the marriage. So that really helped as we started to work on rebuilding trust because he was willing and he acknowledged that he had broken the trust. And so I, now working with other women, I, a lot of husbands don't acknowledge that trust Mm -hmm. has been broken as much as it has been. And it's like, okay, you forgave me, like, let's move on. And so I think because he was so willing to be a part of the process that made things work really well, but then what we had to do was figure out tangible and practical ways that we could rebuild trust. And so that's where some boundaries came in. Like, okay, I don't, um, you know, I need to have safety in this relationship. And what does safety look like? I mean, what is that? And so, um, no communication with other people. And if you or no with other women initially mm-hmm. was one of the things he re- he deleted all of his contacts, all female contacts, except for some approved ones out of our phone or out of his phone, deleted all social media. And so, those weren't necessarily boundaries, but they were steps in the right, right. like steps he took to help reestablish trust and show me that he was willing to do the things. Right. Like there, there could be practical actions that show that trust, or at least the desire to rebuild trust, is there. So he was doing those kind of things, and then one thing I said that was kind of, I guess, a boundary was like I want to every night in order to move forward. I need to receive a text message from you, like with something you love about me. Right. Mm. And so if, if you want to move forward, if you're serious about that, this, this is what I need, which, you know, again, I'm not in control of that. You have to have boundaries that you're in control of. And like, this is what I need in order to move forward. If you're not going to do this, then I can't move forward in the relationship. That's where I was at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it gave him a practical way to say I, every night he's doing this. So not only is he telling me something that he loves about me, which is great. Right. But he's also behavior He's right. modeling a behavior of like, I'm doing what I said I was going to do. I'm doing what right. you need me to do. And so that in itself helped to rebuild trust um, because he was doing that. I think a huge thing for us too was there were people outside of me who knew what was happening, who knew what was going on and were kind of a safety blanket, or at least it felt like that to me, not that they would come running to me and tell me this information, but there was other eyes on him that Mm. were aware of what was going on and kind of encouraging him to make the right choices. So he, you know, his, his, a friend of his that, that helped that, that like lived with him for a little while, 
his parents. He had, we, we both sought counsel and from a couple. And so he was meeting with them. So there was a, a lot of accountability outside of just me mm-hmm. that allowed me to kind of step into that trust building process because it was like, well, there's other people in here with me. And eventually he had a group of men that he met with every week, you know, and he still leads these like a group like this now where they're working on living a kind of life with sexual integrity and, and Mm. understanding how and why these things happen. So they don't do them again. Right. And so there was all sorts of layers of like what was going on in order to help us rebuild trust. And some of those, you know, that was one, that was a boundary. If you want to stay in this relationship, I need you to be in a support group Mm. for this. That became like a boundary that we had and it. And it's, it's not necessarily like a boundary now, but he's still in the group, like, because, because of the the things he's gained and because he's leading, leading it now. So, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's, I love how practical and tangible the boundaries you set were because if it's just like, I need to feel loved and safe, it's really hard to see if they're successful. And it's very subjective. It's like, I don't feel good about this. It makes it hard for both parties to succeed, um, in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Meant- I think that's a common struggle. If, right. you know, people like, they don't know how to practice, like how to set it up practically. They just want it to happen. Right. Um, so, and how, how did you figure that out? Was that in some of the books that you read or was it like suggestions and support groups that you were in? Um, I was not in a support group, which mm. is part of the reason why I created one <laughs> 10 years later, uh, because I wish I would have had something like this back then, but I, I don't know. I trust was like a huge thing growing mm. up in our family. It was mm. like a value And so the concept of like breaking trust and then needing to rebuild it was like something I was very familiar with. So I don't know Mm. that I would have like labeled them boundaries. I don't think I had the words to understand what I was doing like I do now, but the, the idea of like, okay, trust has been broken. Now you have to take these steps in order to, to get the trust back. Like I had done that time and time again with my parents. I mean, not me trusting them, obviously them trusting me <laughs> as I made many, many mistakes <laughs> as a teenager. Yeah. And so that, that idea of like, okay, actions are mm. what build trust, not just mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. was something that I was taught at a young age. And so while it wasn't explained as boundaries per se, um, it was explained as, as like to rebuild trust is right. it takes you showing me that you're trustworthy again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm sure, I mean, some of that time, like in exactly what was told to us and what I read is a little bit of a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had really good counsel, like mm-hmm. walking beside us that I'm that, ex, you know, kind of gave us activities to do. And we were both reading books. And, and so couldn't tell you exactly which one may have said right. what to do, but we had a lot of wisdom and looking mm. back, we're like, Oh wow. Like we did a lot of things right that we didn't even know we were doing right. right but we are so grateful that we did. Right. Right. And it sounded like there were a lot of boundaries that you set for your husband. Did he 
maybe not like initially, but like eventually, have you guys had some boundaries for you as well to have those good boundaries in the relationship? Yeah, that's a great question because what I I say a lot too with women that I'm working with is we we set things in place initially to rebuild trust that now are foundational just to protect our marriage. Mm -hmm. So for example, we neither of us text someone of the other the opposite sex without including either mm. like the other other person or the other person's spouse. Mm-mm-mm. Um and so that's one thing that we put in place before that like has just carried into now we both do that. Um, I mean, there's obviously exceptions that are like practically that happen now over time, but that's one thing that grew from like him to like, no, like, why would we not do this? Why, Mm. why wouldn't I also do this? Like we both have access to everything of each other's like passwords, phones, Mm. emails, like we can get into each other's things now. Um, and so a lot of those things that initially were set up as far as like ways for me to have transparency with him, it's like, well, why wouldn't we just continue this because we're protecting our marriage now? So yeah, a lot of those, those things that were really like helpful to rebuild trust and like boundaries we put in place have stuck and then expanded to include Mm. me as well, because it's like, well, that's a great thing to, to do anyways. So there's, there's a lot of that. And then, you know, there's different boundaries that we each have in relationship and how we interact with each other that have mm. developed over the course of a marriage. And because of, of that, um, and just understanding how we want to protect our relationship and, and ourselves. So are there any, like you were talking about, um, communication, I feel like was a big transparency area. Mm-hmm. Um, were there other things? Cause you were saying that the texting you saying, uh, something that mm-hmm. he loved about you every night, are there things mm-hmm. like that to like strengthen your love or make it a practice that has continued on as well? You know, I probably should. We are in a really <laughs> tough time with like a 10 and a 12 year old mm. at home right now. And so like, we are just fighting, not fighting <laughs> each other, but like fighting to for each other <laughs> uh, just have time you know like we, we just came back from a trip and we're like we need to figure out how do we prioritize our mm. relationship now in the midst of like our kids don't go to bed until 9 30 10 our older one is like he would be up until midnight and so it's like we don't have that same time that we right. used to have when they went to bed at 7 30 and so how do we figure out how to protect our relationship I mean we're, we've been married 16 years so Obviously, I said we're not fighting each other, but we do fight each other and we, it, you know, we're married. <laughs> and so how do we figure out how to like continue to invest into each other? Mm-hmm. Some of those things I wish I could say, yes, we do those. We're trying to figure out what that looks like right now with our kids at the ages that they right. are and everybody as busy as they are. So, um, but I, I we, appreciate uh, how honest that answer is. It's like, yeah, we figured a lot of stuff out. We have trust in our relationship, but there's also, there's always something to work on, right? There's never enough time. Right, right. No, um, you know, and like we've learned, like we have, we started lunch dates, right? Because cute. we both work from home. Mm-hmm. Now it used to be like those evening dates where you get away from your kids and now we're like, 
we like we're involved in he coaches their sports and so mm. we have and each of us has a meeting for what we do like to help you know men or women on in the evenings different days and so our evenings are pretty full so those are the tools that I that you learn like when you walk through healing and mm. you get down these like they help the rest of your life and not mm. just in your marriage but in all relationships when you can start to like get in, get, develop those skills and those tools. And sometimes you like forget they're in your tool belt, right? <laughs> and you just have to figure out how to pull them back out. That's what counseling and like good coaching is for. So. For sure. For sure. Um, so you were just mentioning like the support that you have around you who remind you of the things to do when you guys came to the decision of staying together, what was the external reaction to that decision? That was actually not as difficult for us as I think it it is for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I don't remember a ton of negativity. And so either I have blocked it out (laughs) and didn't listen. Um, I walked into um, the infidelity as a pretty confident person and so and you know if you're my friend I do care about what you think but I think I had either I blocked it out or people just weren't offering it up mm-hmm. um I I mean there were a few people in our lives that that were like I don't know why you would do this and um I don't agree with you but I still mm-hmm. love you like mm-hmm. that was kind of the worst of it or you know this is your choice but I don't that you know my dad specifically was like supportive, but also like, will you broke my trust as well. Hmm. Like, so you're going to have to work to rebuild this relationship. And now they have a great, really, you know, they have a great relationship, but nobody that I can remember was super negative. Mm-hmm. And now hearing other people's stories, mm-hmm. I realized that is out there and more common. And I don't know how we were sheltered from that, especially given like how many people knew about what we were going through at the time, but you know, there was definitely some comments that I didn't feel like were understanding mm. of the the whole situation. Didn't know really how these things or why these things happen in a marriage, and they assume like, oh, it's not enough sex, or like you are totally unhappy, and and some some of that kind of stuff that we got. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. I don't know, ig- ignorance might be kind of like a strong word, but. We didn't have a lot, a lot of people, we, I mean, we're both from a faith, like filled community. So in, in Christian circles, like a lot of people are more in favor of reconciling the mm, marriage. So I think right. we had the people that we really turned to were all like, if you can get through this, you'll be stronger was kind of the main message that we heard mm-hmm. from, from people. So we were really, again, like I said, we were really I don't know how that happened. Right, right. I mean, that makes sense um, if that's the idea in in the group that you were in. And it, what you said about your father was really interesting that his trust was also broken and that needed to be rebuilt. Because I think so often when we think of a betrayal, we're just thinking about the two people rather than the entire ecosystem um, mm-hmm. that they're in. And yeah. I wanted to ask... Your boys are, you said 13, 10 and 13, 10 and 12. 10 and 12. Uh, 
you're, it, this was a long time ago, so they have no memory of this happening, but both of you guys are leading support groups and your, your, the title of your business is literally journey beyond betrayal. So how much do they mm-hmm. know? Do you guys talk to your children about this as well? Well, we may, we may need to have a conversation with one of them after he snuck into the room <laughs> in the middle of this, but, um, they are not totally aware of what, mm-hmm. what happened. We haven't had that conversation. We always knew that we would, but mm-hmm. given that, like my oldest was one mm-hmm. and the youngest was conceived in the reconciliation process, mm-hmm. like neither of them were like would like you said they they wouldn't remember this and mm-hmm. so it's been like how do we tell them appropriately and right. in a way that makes sense and um we are at that age i think with my older son especially as he um he's in middle school and like kind of we're trying to teach him how to make good choices on the internet and like right. with friends and with girls and like the consequences that those kind of choices can have and so that's how we'll approach that conversation with him is like Okay, because some of the choices that my husband made at that age mm-hmm. were actually a piece of what led down the road to him oh. making the choice to, you know, being stuck in like an addiction and um, pursuing a secretive life because he had a t- he he can trace it all the way back to like a time in middle school mm. that that shifted his perspective that then planted the seeds that allowed for this to happen and so that's kind of the perspective we want to present it with mm-hmm. to them when we do tell them um we probably should have already told our oldest but it's been like it's been a whirlwind of the last couple of years we've moved and like a lot of transition and so some things that I wish we had not neglected we have right. to kind of address and then our younger one he's he's pretty immature and so We'll see when we have that conversation. And that's also right. the balance too, because when you tell one, how do you tell one and not the other? And right. I don't and know if there's a book about that. <laughs> I could, I'll, I'll do some research and let you know. I but would love to read it. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, like your eldest that one. might be ready, but your youngest might not be. And it's like, it. you don't want it to spill over and have that like conversation, not have you guys present there. Yeah. yeah so yeah. So they know, question. I mean, like you said, my business is this, mm-hmm. like they know what it's called, but you know, when you don't have a context for betrayal, right? like they just assume that they know I help women who are going through difficult situations right. and they know that their dad like leads these groups and they know what it focuses on. Like it's men getting together, you know, to pursue godly character essentially. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how we've talked about it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You know, as I haven't only been doing this in a very like in this kind of capacity for the last year and a half. So it's not been um, right. something that they have had around them. Like, I think if it had been doing it for years and years, they probably we probably would have had to have had that more time to think about earlier, it. But, <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. obviously very personal. But you said that there was a turning point that your husband could trace back to in middle school. Do you mind my asking what that turning point Mm -hmm. was? Well, so he essentially like he was caught in something, um, with a sexual component Mm -hmm. to it. And 
and like by his mom and she said like i never want to see something like this again it was like a note and um and so he made the connection i don't if you don't see it then the problem is only if you know about it right not if i'm doing it right and that was the lie he kind of like twisted in his head and and like it took root like i said it was just like a seed that was planted and then from that grew some behaviors that that as he dug into like well how come how could i do this and why did i do this you know and, and that's a really important piece for the betrayer to look at and understand so they don't do it again but like some of those roots for men i mean go back a a lot i would say he's worked with men you know and a lot of the root of their behavior goes back to like you know six seven ten twelve years old and you don't necessarily make that connection until you start to like piece the things together and do the work to to heal from it and move forward and that's kind of like why we want those conversations to be open with our kids. So it's like, no, you don't understand. Like these decisions do have a, they can have a big impact, even though you don't see it right now. Right. right. And so that, that was kind of a, a piece of his story was like, okay, if you don't know about it, then it's not really happening. There's no consequences essentially, mm-hmm. which we know is not true. Not the case. case. And we're coming to the end of our time today, but I wanted to finish off with a question of what would you tell a friend or someone who's walking beside a woman through infidelity? How can they support them? Yeah. The friend, how would Mm. I, what would I say to the friend or to the woman? Uh, Sorry. What would you tell a friend of someone who's walking through this? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought you said. Um, I mean, I think it's really important to just be available to listen without judgment and to, to acknowledge that you don't understand because you can't, you haven't experienced it, but to offer support without feeling like you need to say something or fix it, Mm. but just be available to listen and love her through that. Um, without telling her what to do or judging her or her husband, um, but just be a place of encouragement and love that she can land safely. Mm-hmm. Um, practical help is really, I mentioned, you know, someone helped me with meals and taking care of my mm-hmm. kid. And that was, that was so helpful to have my practical needs met in that way. And so friends can be a great place to do that. And um I would just say, you know, encourage her to reach out to someone like me who has been there and Mm -hmm. she can get the support from someone that does understand. So as the friend, you know, that she is confiding in knowing Mm -hmm. about resources like this and looking into resources for her. And then also just give her a ton of grace because she's walking through something so difficult and it's trauma and she may not behave in ways that seem to make sense to you, but you're not in it. She is. And so just give her, give her grace and love and listen. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful note to end on. And if people are looking for you, uh, I have all your links that'll list down below, but do you have a specific way that Mm -hmm. you prefer people reaching out to you? My website is a great place to go because there's some free resources there for people. So journeybeyondbetrayal.com. You can get the free resources. You can learn more about the community and the coaching that I offer. And 
I would love it if it's a good fit for you um, mm-hmm. to, I would love to support you and walk beside you through it. Cause I don't think anyone should have to walk through this alone. And so that's at the heart of what I do. Um, but there's also some, all the free resources there yeah. are, are great to look into as well. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening on this episode. If you have the same curiosity I do, you may still have a bunch of questions on the topic. I've already done one episode previously on the topic of betrayal. So if you've missed that one, you can go and check that one out. I also have another two episodes coming out uh, and that's going to be focused on how to recover individually and what gets people into the headspace to hurt someone they love in the first place. Make sure to follow the pod for more stories about people who've been through a world of hurt and have come out the other side changed but stronger. I'll see you guys next week.